Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tovia Kopsty. Hey, welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast, episode four. And this time we are excited to bring you an interview with Batman. And it's fascinating to me, I never knew Batman was Jewish. We're going to find out through the course of this interview that the real Batman, the man behind the mask, was actually doing much more lasting good and giving much more altruistically than the actual Batman that you're familiar with. We hope you enjoy this episode, and thank you. Welcome to the Our Tribe podcast. I'm Rabbi Tuvia Kapsi, and I am very, very excited to be with you this time and bring you an interview with Batman himself. And thank you so much, Batman, for spending, you know, taking the time out of your busy schedule, fighting crime to to spend some time sharing your story with us. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah. Okay, great. So we have got so many questions. I'm sure there's a lot, lots of our listeners are fans of yours. Can you let's just start from the beginning. How do you become Batman? Like, is this something you have to you have to go to college for is it you know you have somebody connected in the in, like in the industry like superhero industry that you can you can call them up and say you know i'm interested in being a superhero like can you tell us like how you got started uh definitely so actually i'll take you back a little my my original plan was actually to be bruce wayne uh, i didn't want to be batman i wanted to be a multi-billionaire with you know the most amount of houses vacation homes private jets, yachts, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's what I was aspiring to be. That's what I wanted, the quote unquote American dream. That's what I was chasing when I was younger. Um, and there were a couple of pieces to my puzzle that kind of transformed me into becoming Batman instead of wanting to be Bruce Wayne. Um, one of which, which I speak openly about the fact that I was bullied, you know, all till probably about 10th or 11th grade. Uh, I was picked on a lot because I grew up in an extremely affluent area. Um, my family was more middle class, which meant, you know, I wasn't as wealthy or what the other kids had. Um, so I was picked on a lot for that. And that was part of my original motivation to want to become Bruce Wayne. You know, it's kind of like I wanted to have everything that these children had and 10 times more to show them that I was better than them. And I was coming from a place of hate versus a place of love or a place of jealousy, which we know in Judaism, you know, jealousy is something we should never have. It's a horrible, horrible trait. And seeing from where I was to where I am, it's a totally different feeling. It just is a human being, that feeling of wanting and feeling jealous of others versus wanting certain things to do it out of love. It's a very, very, very different feeling. And looking back and understanding what the Torah says, I could actually understand why it says it on a much deeper level than just, hey, you shouldn't be doing these things. It's physiologically, it actually could decrease your lifespan if you had that feeling for too long. Um, and the last piece of the puzzle um, was I had one younger sister uh, who was studying abroad. She was in Israel for the year in a seminary called Michalala uh, when she was 18. And she came home for Passover, for Pesach vacation. Uh, she was home literally seven days before she came home with what seemed like a little bit of a cold. Um, and unfortunately, within seven days, so literally ever of Pesach, we got up from Shiva, um, she got a staph infection and ended up passing away. Um, and, you know, I remember being in the hospital and seeing the, you know, my sister and the transformation, everything going on and how horrible it was and the effects that it has on the family. And I said, you know what, I wanted to become the person that I would have needed if I didn't have such an amazing support system. Like, thank God. Within the Jewish community, it's amazing between all the organizations, the amount of chesed and everything that people do to come together for people that they do know or people that they've never met. And the support system that I've had was absolutely amazing. But I said I wanted to become the person that I would have needed if I didn't have that support system. So the way that I became Batman was kind of all those different pieces of the puzzle. And the last, last piece was that there was actually a Jewish guy uh, in Baltimore. His name was Lenny Robinson. Um, and I heard about him on the news. You know, he would go dressed up as Batman in a Lamborghini to visit sick children. Um, and I thought it was an amazing thing because I was doing something similar where I, were, I was borrowing people's exotic cars. And I would go to visit children in hospitals, outpatient centers, stuff like that to make them happy. And I thought it was such an amazing thing that there was someone else out there using these vehicles for a greater purpose than themselves. And unfortunately, one day I heard about 
Lenny on the news. I think he was in a black Batmobile, black Batman costume, a poorly lit area in the evening, and he got out of the car and a car didn't see him and he died. Um, and I wanted to continue his legacy. I said, even though I never met him, but what he was doing for this world to make such an, a big impact, I said, I couldn't let his legacy and his dream and vision die with him. And that's when I became Batman. So it's kind of all these different pieces of the puzzle throughout the journey. And, you know, throughout life, you have a lot of different situations that occur. And most of the time, it's not as obvious. Like for me, I can look back and tell you clearly that, you know, if I wouldn't have had my sister pass away, I wouldn't have been as empathetic towards people in these situations. You know, if I wasn't bullied when I was younger, I wouldn't have had that, you know, all these different things that, that come together that really made me want to say, hey, you know what, I'd rather dedicate my life to doing chesed and volunteering and helping people than amassing billions and billions and millions of dollars and just having, you know, a bank account with tons of zeros after it. Like the gratification that I got from helping someone is worth more to me than all the money in the world. Like there's nothing that could fill that gratification that you get when you're out there and you actually make that connection with the family and the child. And unfortunately, a lot of them do pass away. You know, it's, it's the final wish when I go there very often, it's a wish to meet Batman to go in a car to do something and, you know, to be there and to know that that day, that week, that month was the last time the child smiled, you know, to me, it's worth more than anything in the world. So I didn't need a university for that. I didn't need a degree. Uh, but I did need a lot of life's experiences. And I say uh, very often our darkest times in life could enable us to become the light for other people's dark situations. And I think that's the part about being a Jew. It's there are going to be times in our life where there's going to be darkness and there's going to be hardships and trials and tribulations. But you have to always remember that no matter what's happening to you, somehow it's always for the best, right? We have that mindset of Gamzulatova. And that even to us at that to moment... To translate for, for listeners who it, might not be familiar. Yeah, sorry, Gamzulatova, basically, it's for the best, essentially. You know, no, no matter what's happening in life, it's always for the best, right? And I could tell you openly, there were real estate deals that I was trying to get involved with when I was trying to syndicate certain deals and certain things. And, you know, one of them was back in about 2018, 2019, I had a group of investors trying to invest in Manhattan and they ended up investing in Florida. And at that time I was upset. You know, I said, look, it's one thing to feel upset, but I knew that somehow it was for the best. Looking back now from where we are, the properties would have been completed a, a, around this time. Manhattan is not the hottest place to be anymore. You know, it was a great place, but because of COVID and everything happening, Florida on the flip side ended up going up exponentially. Like it went up so much more. So, even though it's just something so simple as, you know, money at that point, but something three, four years ago that seems horrible was actually a blessing in disguise. Far too often in life, you don't get to see it as clear as that. But you have to always remember that no matter what's happening, it's always for the best. Even if it doesn't seem like it, even if you don't think it, you have to know it and understand it that no matter what's happening, it's that it's always for the best. Thank you for sharing that. Okay. So Batman, can we see your, um, your behind the mask now? I didn't know. Like I have to, I have to tell our listeners, I didn't know if the answer was going to be, the answer was, was really the, the man behind Batman. And I didn't know if it was going to be a Batman answer or, or a Josh Arie answer, but let's, let's show, let's show everybody. This is Josh Arie, who's also known as Batman. Oh, there he is. Yep, I exist. Hey guys, <laughs> good to see you, Josh. Okay, yeah, thank you. So, yeah, you can zip down if you want to be more comfortable. Yeah, know, it's all right. It's not too bad. You know. at home. Okay. Yeah, thank you. So, Josh, just, you just gave us a, uh, you just gave us the real answer about why Josh became Batman, and that's and that's good. That's what I wanted. Um, and so, I want to touch upon something you said before. Um, I want to touch. You you mentioned that as. As a kid, you you grew up in a, in a neighborhood where you're surrounded by affluence, and your family was more middle class, and so that that gave you the feeling that you wanted to to outdo them, right? Yeah. Okay, got it. And then and then you replace. If I understand correctly, that that you how did you realize? At what point did you realize that that was that was really empty, and you wanted to pursue doing good for others, which is what you're doing with your with your Batman getup. You said that that just to get just to review what you said. Yeah, yeah for sure. So it, that was actually, that was when you that was when you saw the outpouring of, of kindness from your community. 
Yeah, so that was one. And the second was, you know, I was borrowing people's exotic cars because at that time I couldn't afford, you know, any of the exotic cars yet. Um, so, you know, I was borrowing from different people and I said, you know what, I couldn't really afford to donate my money, but I could afford to donate time. You know, and I said, let me call up different charities and say, hey, you know, my name is Josh Arier. I don't own these exotic cars, but I have access to almost any exotic car in the world. And finally, I got a call back that there was an eight-year-old girl uh, who's battling stage four cancer. And she lived in Queens and she was going to be home in between her chemotherapy treatments. And her dream or wish was to go on a Lamborghini. And I said, perfect. Like I knew of a guy in Great Neck on the North Shore uh, who had a yellow Lamborghini. And I called him up. And this was part of that puzzle, like one of those defining moments that changed the rest of my life. And the family knew I was coming. The child had no idea. And they bring out this little girl. She's looking down at the ground. She's all sad. She's in this wheelchair. And she looks up and sees this bright yellow convertible Lamborghini parked right in front of her house. And you see that child's entire face like lights up with one of the biggest smiles I've ever seen. And I put the top down. We get her into the car, drive around for like 15, 20 minutes. They get her back. They put her into the wheelchair. And as soon as she gets back into the, the house, the mother starts hysterically crying, like nonstop bawling. And I've always been involved with chesed and helping and doing stuff, but this was my first time I truly had a one-on-one interaction with a child that was that sick. So I looked at the mom and I said, look, if I said something or did something offensive, I didn't mean it. You know, I thought maybe I was insensitive or, or something happened. And the mom looks at me, she goes, no, she goes, you don't understand. She said, my daughter was diagnosed with cancer at the age of four. She's had over 20 surgeries. She got an infection, which caused her to become partially paralyzed, which is why my daughter is in the wheelchair. She said, this is the first time I've seen my daughter smile in four years since she was diagnosed with cancer. And for me at that moment, I said, look, I'm a huge car enthusiast. I wanted everything in the world, but I said, I could, if I could have such an impact with such a stupid thing, because essentially it's just the car. I said, I don't know how, but I want to dedicate my life to this. And that was, that was the defining moment, you know, being in the hospital and seeing the chesed and all that it was kind of all the different pieces to the puzzle, but everything coming together and looking back and and feeling what I felt, you know, saying like, I didn't know I was capable of having such an impact in this world. Like I'm, I'm a simple guy with a big heart. Like that's it. I'm not, I'm not Donald Trump. I'm not Bill Gates. I'm not Elon Musk. Like I'm not a billionaire, but I realized I don't need billions of dollars to have that impact. Like to that child, I was worth more than anything else in the world. Like the, the smile that she had and all that. And, you know, the countless other children that I've visited since then, so, you know, so I think that's why, you know, starting from that and seeing that, I said, the feeling that I got from that was a million times greater than any feelings that I've gotten from doing successful business deals. And that, that's kind of what I realized. It was just over time and looking back and saying, it's not worth being jealous. Like if someone has that, great, thank God, good, you know, let them have it a million times more. It doesn't affect me in any way. You know, I realized like another concept that we have in Judaism, you know, which mean, basically means, you know, someone that's, tell me someone that's rich is someone that's happy with what they have. You know, that's my definition of rich. It's not someone that's a multi-billionaire because throughout my journey, I've done business with people that are multi-billionaires, guys that are on Forbes, people that people look up to, they're living the American dream and their lives are some of the lives I would never want in a million years. Like these guys are so unhappy. Some guy bought a brand new jet for 50, 60 million dollars. And he's got one here and he's got one there. And his kid had, they're so, because they had that. And next he's got to get this and you have to get this and you have to get that. It's just an empty. They're constantly running and chasing and going. And, but then there are times where I'll go into a homeless shelter and, you know, we'll bring them toothpaste and toothbrushes and, undershirts and just basic supplies, diapers and different things like that. We'll give them out to the families and the kids are running and jumping and playing and they're the happiest kids in the world. And according to the quote unquote definition of what the American dream is, they should not be happy, but they're happy with what they have. Mm -hmm. They're happy with who they are. And that's well, like that's with someone that's rich. Someone that's rich is someone who's happy with what you have. That's my definition has changed since then. Like I've looked back and I was like, look, it doesn't matter what America and society is telling you that you have to have and you have to be because you chase all of that and it's empty. Like there's nothing there, but the feeling that you get when you actually make a difference, when you make an impact, like if certain people sit down, they learn a Gemara, 
right? And all of a sudden they, they, they have an idea, they understand a concept. They're like, oh my gosh, like this is amazing. Like the excitement that they get from that would be 10 times greater than the excitement that they would get if I would give them a thousand dollars, right? Because it's a true meaning. It's something that's going to last. It's an impact they actually have. So, you know, I've learned that you have to actually just think for yourself, you know, sit back and say, look, what's actually going to make me a happy life? Not, not what are you telling me it's going to make me happy? Like, I don't need you to tell me what's going to make me happy. Right. Like what's actually going to going to last in life and what's going to make that impact, you know, because in 20 years and 30 years and 50 years and two years, like I want to look back and say, look, it's great that you have a million dollars in your account. But what did you do for the world? Like what impact are you making? And I always tell people, I'm like, kindness is free. It's something everyone could afford to give. That's what I love about Chesed. Right. There are some people that could afford to donate tons of money. But it could be as simple as holding the door open for someone, saying good morning, smiling, like like simple things that to the person that's receiving it, it's not simple for them. Mm-hmm. I always say that a small kind deed is something that's done to someone else. To you, it's just, oh, I'm just smiling. I'm only saying good morning. But to the person receiving it, it makes a world of a difference. And I remember hearing a story. I don't remember which Rob said it. It was in one of these books that I wrote, read about, and, you know, the Magachir or something like that. And I'll make it quick, but there's a story about this guy that worked in a factory. And there were hundreds of employees that worked in the factory. This was before they had, you know, the, the digital and everything. Maybe it was a punch card or something. Yeah. And the night shift guard comes to take over. And, you know, day shift's about to leave. He goes, wait, I have to do something. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, something is wrong. I need to go check. Night shift guard says, okay, no problem, right? He's running around the whole factory, whole factory. He gets to the back of the place and he hears someone banging on the door. Wise, help, help me. He quickly gets back. And as he's going, it gets louder and louder and louder. In the back of this giant factory, they had like a, a, a giant freezer because they would deal with meat. And at the end of the day, they would put the meat into the freezer so it wouldn't spoil overnight. And this guy went in to bring it in like he normally does. And there's a handle on the inside. The door shuts behind, no problem. Problem was the door handle on the inside got stuck and he couldn't turn the handle to get out. And no one else was in the factory anymore. He was the last employee left there. And I said, if he would not have gotten out, he would have frozen to death overnight. And they said to the guard, they said, how is it possible? There are hundreds of employees in this factory that come in or out. How is it possible? You realize one, it's not like you're sitting and you're checking the punch card who's in or out. It's not your job. All you do is check security. Said, how is it possible that you know? And he said, because he's the only employee that when he comes in, he said, good morning to me. And when he would leave, he would say good night. And he didn't say good night to me. So I knew something was wrong. And it's something as simple as that simple act of kindness ended up being the reason why this guy was saved. So that's why I say you never know. There's something, there's no such thing as just a small act of kindness. You never know the impact that could have on the world. And you never know if that could be the reason why you end up being saved. Like he never thought that by saying good morning and good night that he would live another day just because of that. Just by acting like a mensch, you know, like a good human being was the reason why he's alive. So... Amazing. Wow. Okay. So I have so many questions about what you just said. First, first, I want to, I want to get into the crux of what you said. I think that there, everybody, more or less, everybody who understands, you know, who identifies as a, as a good person wants to do good. And I think everyone, everyone will point out in their lives, like where I'm doing good, right? Everyone will say, I'm doing good. I'm, I'm giving to this cause or that cause, or I'm helping great volunteering. But I think that a lot of people feel that they can do the maximum good by making a lot of money and then giving a lot of money away. Okay, you get to keep some, for, you get to keep a lot for yourself. But it's not like I think a lot of people would say, okay, so that's, I enjoy the deal and I enjoy the, yeah, whatever it is that I, I enjoy, like the win. I, oh, we got it. And I'm going to make a lot of money and that investment. Ooh. It was, it was, it, 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 there's some kind of satisfaction. Oh, I just got a, you know, a huge, a huge windfall. And then what, but since I'm somebody who wants to do good, so I'll do good with my money. So is that, is that something, do you think you had a change at some point where you, where you felt like that, that's for, for you, that's something that you can do, but it's also, but, but you feel better that when you're doing it with your, you think it's more meaningful to do it with your actions. I think to be there and to physically, from my personal experience, so yeah. I still donate money, right? Because we have a, a commandment, you have to donate somewhere between 10 to 20% of whatever you make, right? Whether my income is a dollar or $20 million, whatever that amount is, I have to give somewhere between 10 to 
So that I'm doing regardless, which is beautiful. You get to help different people, different causes. You get to do different things, right? You get to choose what you want to donate your money to. But to go out there and physically be involved, right? I used to be involved with Tomche Shabbos, right? And these different organizations where we'd get pack the food for underprivileged or needy families before Shabbos, or before, you know, Passover and different holidays and stuff like that. Or um, I happen to also be like a Hatzalah member, uh, which is the volunteer ambulance and a Chavira member. So we help people where their cars broke down and involved with a lot of amazing other organizations. Um, so I dedicate a lot of my time, but I also donate my money. And I think by dedicating your time, like there are people that say with Chaverim, when I go out there and someone is stuck at two in the morning with a flat tire on the side of the highway, when you go out there and you change their tire, you know, you plug their tire, you you boost their battery, they're stuck at a wedding, they went to a wedding and, you know, a wedding hall and they're from out of town and now it's one in the morning and they get to the car and the car doesn't start. You know, they just want to get back to wherever they're from. When you show up and help them, you know, to them, it's more than you donating tons and tons and tons of money. Now, Often there are times that I meet with people there that are worth a hundred times more than I have, maybe even a thousand. Like some of the guys that I've met are some of the wealthiest Jewish people in the world. But going out there, like for that moment, I was their knight in shining armor. You know, so to me, going or I was their, you know, superhero, their their Batman, you know. Uh for me, like that moment going out there and dedicating your time, you know, and having that connection to that human being. You know, sometimes uh, we do, you know, a bunch of my friends or organizations, we go out to Manhattan or other areas and we'll line up with food and we'll give out food and clothing and different things to homeless people. And we'll make them, uh, you know, for non-Jewish New Year's, we'll make them a New Year's party just to, you know, give them that. We'll hire an ice cream truck to come and, you know, they can take free ice cream from the ice cream truck because when was the last time you had 200 homeless people ordering from an ice cream truck or, you know, having a barbecue grill on the street, letting them eat food like a mensch, come choose. You want steak, you want a hot dog, you want chicken, you want whatever, you know, so just make them feel like a human being. You know, sometimes it's worth more than just giving them $20, you know, when it's safe, right? There are certain situations, certain people you don't want to talk to, but, you know, you do certain things. So to me, you know, dedicating my time is worth a lot more. And I'm not saying the people out there that have tons of money that are donating the money, you know, we need that as well. You know, I'm not negating that. You know, thank mm-hmm. God there are lots of wealthy people in the world that are writing big checks and are making huge difference and are helping and doing that. But for the rest of us that can't necessarily afford to do that, you know, I think donating your time, right? Whether it's once a day, once a week, once a month, you figure out whatever you could do and getting involved with the cause that you feel connected to. And seeing the impact that it helps and also makes you appreciate life, you know, from where I was when I was younger to where I am now, you know, for visiting, I mean, thousands and thousands and thousands of children in different hospitals and, you know, Zoom calls and all these things throughout the world because we have COVID and FaceTimes. And so now it went from just visiting people throughout the U.S. to international because we're doing a lot of FaceTimes and Mm -hmm. stuff like that with social media. You know, the accounts have grown to hundreds of thousands of followers on the accounts and all these things. So you know, the impact that you make and all that, it's just something great, you know, to feel that. And you speak to a kid in Australia or Germany and Italy, wherever, you know, and you speak to these families and you're just, you know, visiting, visiting a child in a hospital bed, um, you know, to you, it's just, you know, you take five, 10 minutes out of your day for that, for that child, you know, he's literally meeting his superhero, like his dream is coming true. And for the parents and the family members to see that child happy, you know, it's worth more than anything in the world, you know, and I can tell you, countless stories of children that I visited who unfortunately, you know, the hospital or, or doctors or staff would call and say, look, you know, Josh, you've been here before. Unfortunately, we have a child who had stage four cancer. Uh, the doctors are going to be telling the child that they have, you know, a month left to live that unfortunately they're not going to be discharged on hospice care. And their final wish, we said, what do you want? You could have anything in the world. What do you want to do? And we had one child whose wish was to become a police officer. She made three wishes uh, to be a police officer to get married and to graduate high school. She was about under, I'd say about like 10 years old, somewhere between the ages of seven and 10. But this was her three wishes. And through one of my teammates and, you know, people that helped the organization, we were able to get in touch with her school uh, that she would graduate from her public school and got her the principal to come down and the principal awarded her with her high school diploma. 
uh, we had a whole graduation ceremony, everything. Uh, we made a mock wedding for the child. We made her an aisle and everything. And at the end, it was her Prince Charming, guy dressed up in a costume. And, you know, she got married, quote unquote, to that guy. And we made her an after party with the DJ and a whole thing for them. Um, and that Fana wish to become a police officer. We had the guy come down with her own plaque and uniform and badge and everything. And we had her sworn in with the swearing in ceremony to become a police officer and all that. Um, and it was to the point that we literally sat, it was a single mother with an only child, literally sat with the mother and planned out the funeral, you know, a non-Jewish child. She knew she was going to pass away within the next few weeks. Like that was it. The child was ready. She was telling us who she wanted to speak, where it was going to be. Everything was worked out. A few days later, child goes to sleep. She wakes up and the cancer is a hundred percent gone. It's as if she never had cancer done. There's not a trace of cancer in the child's body. It's been a few years since, and she's still fine. Her hair grew back. She's in school. All the ports and tubes are out. She's in remission. Like literally, as if like went to bed with less than a month left to live, according to all the doctors. And now she's 100% cancer free. Amazing. Wow. And, <laughs> did, the doctors, uh, did the doctors had to admit that? Uh... <laughs> they have no, they said it's a miracle. They're, they're medically, ethically, you know, there, there's no reason why. Other than a miracle, like there, there's no medically, there, there's no explanation. There's absolutely zero done. Like she wasn't getting treatments anymore. She was home in the hole. So, you know, we've seen amazing things as well. So throughout the journey, like I've learned to really appreciate, you know, the fact that when you wake up in the morning and you could walk, you could talk, you could smell, you could taste, you could see, you could all these different things, like everything you're doing, the fact that I can move my hands, how many children that I go to that don't have hands or can't use their hands or their feet, their ears or no, like, I mean, you name it, every body part that you have from your head to your toe, the simplest thing in the world, the fact that people here are listening to my podcast, it means your ears are working well. If this is visual that you could see me, that you could this, every little thing here that we take for granted is actually the greatest blessing in the world. Because if I would, God forbid, go to someone in a hospital that didn't have eyes, didn't have ears, didn't have arms, and I would say, you know what? If you give me $100 billion, I'll give you arms. Guaranteed you could do it. If someone had the money, there's no one in the world that wouldn't do it. So these things that we have are priceless. It's worth more than all the money in the world, right? These are like the true blessings. Like a blessing is to have your health, to have your friends, to have family, things like that. You know, it's things that... COVID kind of woke us up and kind of made the average person realize like, Hey, you know what? When I had it, I lost my sense of taste and smell for a while. It was really weird to eat whatever, right? Whatever food it was, pizza, sushi, kala, whatever it was without any taste at all. It was a very weird thing. I never in my life ever thought about that before. The fact that I could eat food and I could appreciate eating a steak. I could appreciate having a Shabbos meal. I could appreciate going out for pizza or fries, or you name it. Simple, something, quote unquote, simple like that is a blessing. There's a reason why in davening and all the things and the prayers that we have. And, you know, when we bench after the meal and, you know, we thank God and say grace for him. And, you know, there's a reason why we go ahead and do these things. It's, it's that we shouldn't be taking things for granted. You know, something as simple as putting on your shoes in the morning. You know, there's a certain way, according to Judaism, of how to put on your shoe how to tie the shoe, you know? And to me, when I was a child, I said, it's so silly. Like, why? why? Like, why is that? You know, but now looking back, it's, you know, it's, I could remember, you know, when I put on my shoe, like, I thank God what I'm putting on my shoe in the morning. Like I'm thinking, thank you, Hashem. Thank you, God, for enabling me to have a foot and to have arms to put my own shoe on. Mm-hmm. There are people that I know, friends that I have, guys that are older, guys that are 40s, that were born with deformities, that that don't really have arms or legs. They just have a little bit of a growth with little fingers and all that. And thank God they can drive a car. They can operate. Some of them do have children. You know, they, they've gotten married. They've, they've moved on in life, but they don't have the regular lives that we have. And they always joke, hey, I've been wearing the same size shoe since I was four years old. You know, that's what somebody's got to so it's just certain things looking back and saying, you know what, there's a reason for everything that we do in Judaism from quote unquote, the most simplest thing to the most complex thing. You know, it's just a question of how much we're able to comprehend and understand and interpret. But at the end of the day, it's just, you know, wearing a yarmulke on your head, you know, right? Why, right? What is the yarmulke, the kippa, the yare malka, right? The fear of God is kind of to remind you that Hashem is above you, right? It's not just, oh, I'm a Jew. It's that there's a reason to do that. There's a reason why you have a head covering. It's not just to have it because it looks good or, you know, do certain things. It's, there's a purpose for it. 
you know, and even though you don't understand that purpose, but when you look back, you know, you think about certain things like Shabbos and other holidays, you know, you look at the secular world, most non-Jews, you know, what is it? Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, New Year's, a couple other holidays here and there, right? Maybe Mother's Day, Father's Day, and a couple in between. Other than that, like, they don't have what we have. You have a Shabbos meal, you go to your Rebbe, you go to someone a friend, you could have like 20, 30 people on a Friday night or a Shabbos morning. This doesn't happen, you know, to have teenage kids not using their phone. You go to the average school and say, look, I'll pay you $100. You can't use your phone for the next 25 hours. It's not happening. You'd be like, are you crazy? You want me to not use it? But you go to average from family, all the teenagers are not using their phones, right? And it, it's kind of like a way to disconnect, to reset and all that. And it's, so you look at a lot of these things and it forces you to have family time. It forces you to appreciate each other, to be with each other, actually live in the moment. Not that you're there 24 seven and, oh, I got a Snapchat. I got a Twit, And I, you know, it's just, you're there with the person to be there, to disconnect, to connect, to to go back to the way that God created it, you know, the seventh day is the day of rest. So there's, I could go on and on and on and on about everything. I mean, but you know, when you learn, you know, what it's about and what it's for, you know, you realize that everything has a purpose. And even if you don't understand it or you don't agree with it, the most important thing is that you don't have to, right? It's that you can understand it later in life, you know, or certain things you don't appreciate yet, but you will eventually, you know, there's certain things that you just do it, because that's quote unquote the commandment of what you're supposed to be doing. And then you remember that somehow ultimately it's for the best of what you should be doing and how you should live your life. Okay. Very good. Now I'm going to ask you've been speaking on such a deep and meaningful level. I'm going to ask a little bit of a frivolous question. Uh-oh. <laughs> what is, help me understand. Cause I was never into it as much as other people around me. What is the appeal of an exotic car? So for me, I personally just love the way they look, right? Like the, let's say now I have uh, a Lamborghini Aventador, a Murcielago. I have a couple of exotic cars now that I have that I actually own and use them for the kids. And it's just, I also have an old Dodge. I have a, you know, like a 10-year-old Dodge. It's my normal daily driver. Uh, But when I go to hospitals, the kids will not get excited by that. But let's say my Aventador, it's a Lamborghini Aventador. Uh, It's about two years old. Uh, It's a baby blue. So it's like a a light blue. That's a convertible. So the top comes off. And when you open the doors, like behind me, that was my white one, actually. I don't know if you can see the picture. But I have that in white. It's the same car, but I have a newer one. Uh, So the doors open upwards. And it's really loud. I always feel bad when I'm driving around certain areas. All the car alarms go off because the car is so loud. It's <laughs> a V12 engine with like 750 horsepower. And it's just for the kids when you're going out there, just the sound of the engine and feeling the wind here. Like it's just, it's a beautiful thing. You know, as you're saying, he really like it's a, it's a geschmack, you know? It's a geschmack. Yeah. Um, I imagine but, if you would come up with it, if you would come to their house or the hospital with a chariot hitched with a 750 horses, that would also be pretty significant. That would be cool. I do happen to like horses, but I have not found the 750 of them yet. You know, it might be difficult. Yeah. 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 It definitely caused a nice traffic jam. Okay. So this was, uh, it's interesting because obviously you, you love these cars. You were entranced by the, the proposition of such cars as a kid. And now, and, and you are now identified apparently as something that a lot of kids want. Kids, you know, kids want to drive in one of these cars and it, it can even be one of their final wishes is to have, is to have a ride in these cars. So obviously it's something very powerful. If I don't understand, I guess I guess I have to think about it more. <laughs> Maybe if it gave me more of a chance. No, it's just something, you know, it's just something that I personally appreciate. You know, it's a preference. There's some people that, that don't understand it at all, yeah. which is fine. Some people love basketball, some love football, some love hockey, some love pizza, some love sushi. Like, it's go. a preference, you know, just something that I like. And I was happy because I was able to take my passion and combine it for something greater. Right. It's not about me. It's I'm able to drive these exotic cars, for it, but I use it for a greater purpose. You know, I, right. Right. You know, thank God. And, you know, we've partnered with police departments and different agencies and government agencies and all these different things and literally visited tens of thousands of children. Like there are times before Hanukkah and Christmas every year, just that, let's say about seven days. In those seven days, we visit 15,000 children. Wow. And we go with a full police escort and we donate toys oh. to every child or bring out the cars and do different things. And just every child gets something. And we make sure these are uh, people in need, you know, kids that wouldn't be getting toys for Hanukkah or Christmas or anything. They're really struggling, can't afford it. And, 
you know, we make sure that they get a present and can actually appreciate the holiday and go out there and, you know, treat them like a human being. Um, so going out there and just having the cars and when they see it, they get so excited when they see obviously the police cars. And I mean, there's like literally a hundred plus police cars driving with a Lamborghini or something in the middle and going through and just all of them are filled with toys. And it's such an amazing experience. And that's why I created, you know, my Instagram and all these other accounts and social media, because uh, I realized the impact that we could have, you know, worldwide. You know, it's great what we're doing in the community and different areas, wherever we go to. But, you know, because of the the account and all that and, you know, being, quote unquote, verified means getting that blue check and all those things on the accounts. You know, it's a big thing for people to see in different parts of the world. And I've gotten I can't even tell you how many messages from different people. A, telling me that, you know, my team and I, because it's a team effort, you know, I might be Batman, I might be the founder of the organization, uh, but without the amazing people to help me, whether it's the volunteers to come out, the donors, different people like that, you know, everyone's an important part of that puzzle to put it together and actually make it go. Um, and going out there and being able to make that difference. So sometimes we get messages from people saying, hey, I've never met you, but been watching you, following you for a while. You know, I've been going through whatever, right? Whatever that battle is, it could be battling, you know, contemplating suicide. We've had people message us, people going through cancer, whatever it was, and saying that your team is the reason why I decided not to commit suicide. And I remember when I responded, I said, what do you mean? Like, I was taken back. I said, how am I? Like, with all due respect, I've never met how is it possible? And they said, because I see the way that you guys act towards anyone. It doesn't matter whether you're black, you're white, you're Jewish. You're, it doesn't matter who you are. You treat them like a human being. And it said, it reminded me that there's still hope in this world. Mm. I just want you to know that because of you, I've joined whatever group it was. And now they're, you know, in, in therapy and trying to get there. And he goes, I don't have suicidal thoughts anymore. Wow. For us, so the, the work problem, here yeah. in New York and we're impacting people across the world. Wow, yeah. That's the most amazing thing. So that's why, you know, creating the account and looking back and saying we've had probably between somewhere between 75 and 100 million impressions so far just on, let's say, Instagram. You know, people have looked at the videos and watched it and done that. And it's just, I think, 100 million views on different stuff that we've done. It's a lot of people. Like the infants are just doing one little random act of chesed for a child here had a reaction around the world. So it's really, you know, amazing to see that what we're able to do with that and to bring the cars in and how many people are passionate about it also. There's some that we meet that could not care less. And okay, so I'll try to go as a superhero or as a princess or whatever. I'll try to find what they are passionate about and make that happen. But for the most part, a lot of them do appreciate it, even if they're not big in car enthusiasts, but they still appreciate the sound, the look, the everything about it. Okay. So now now let me the the follow-up questions obviously what do you think is the secret of of Batman or any super what's what is it about a superhero that connects to these kids? Yeah. So for me personally, I'm not I was not the biggest, you know, craziest person about superheroes. And I appreciate it. I watched the movies. I did certain things and I read comics when I was younger, but I wasn't into them the way I was into other stuff. Okay. Um, but for me, uh, personally, Batman, you know, I take him, you know, I became him. But for me, you know, his thing was because Batman was, you know, born wealthy, had, you know, everything, quote unquote, people wanted to have. And he witnessed his parents getting killed. You know, it's the most worst thing in the entire world. He became an orphan and a young child and cut, had to go through a lot of hardships and all these things and had a lot of anger, too. You know, he had that resentment and that that feeling of, I want to get back at the people that killed my parents and that whole kind of situation and ended up going through a whole realization and transformation and realizing that, like I said, like it just came from a place of hate and it was just making him be the person he didn't want to be to becoming Batman and becoming, you know, a person that was filled with hope and just wanted to make a difference in this world. And I remember he said something to the effect of, it's not who I am underneath, you know, like the mask, but it's what I do that defines me. And it's like, it's not about who you are. You know, anyone could be wearing a mask, but it's the actions that define who you are. You know, it's what you do, how you do it, how you treat people, you know, not while the camera's on you is what do you do the other hours of the day when you don't have a camera following around? You know, I put stuff up, but not about, it's not about, you know, quote unquote flexing or any of that. This really started off as a small thing. Like I didn't think I was going to have, a couple hundred thousand followers and a verified page and all like it wasn't in intention i was just doing what i wanted to do by volunteering and just doing certain things just putting up pictures just showing my journey and then just continuously grew throughout you know from that so i think it's important just you know being 
a good human being 24 seven, whether, you know, you're doing whatever it is. So that, that is amazing. I understand now why, why you got to be Batman, but I, what, <laughs> but right, I so know what the, why do the kids love it? Yeah. So I think they just they like the fact that it's, you know, a lot of them, like when I go to children now in the hospitals, I kind of tell them, Hey, you know, I'm Batman, right? You know, Batman fights crime and he does that. I said, are you going to fight cancer? Are you going to beat it? Because now you're like a superhero. also. you're going to kind of do that. So I think to them, it's, it's more of the fun and cool aspect of, you know, what they do and what they go through and how Spider-Man and all these different superheroes could have all these villains and battles coming their way. But no matter what comes with their way, they always win. No matter what happens, they always win. And that's the point. That's why I tell the children, I say, well, bring a Batman mask or a Spider-Man mask or whatever it is that they want. And I'm like, you're now an honorary superhero. So you have to win. Are you going to fight? Are you going to, and their kids told me like our team was the reason why they continued to fight their battles. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, because when you came into that hospital the first time and you treated me like your best friend, and he goes, and you told me that no matter what, what I was struggling, my mom could call you or text you and you'd come back with a different exotic car or in between my treatments, you'd pick me up and take us out for pizza or a movie or ice cream or whatever it was. You were always there. So he said, no matter how hard my treatment was, how much pain I was going through, it was there were days where I wanted to give up. But then he remembered that in another five days, I would be there and I'd pick him up in a Lamborghini. I would bring a Rolls Royce. I would try to get a friend to come with a Bugatti. Like I, I would find whatever. You know, but he goes, it always gave me something to look forward to. So he goes, no matter what I was going through, he goes, I wanted to win. I wanted to fight. I wanted to survive. I think so. That's why superheroes, I think for them, no matter what they're going through, how many supervillains they have coming their way, they always overcame that. And I think for them, it was just cool. So I can't tell you for sure, but that is what my feeling would be of why they like it. It's exciting. It's fun. It's cool. It's entertaining. You know, so I think maybe people like that, seeing people, that there's something that can't really exist in this world, right? It doesn't make sense to have that kind of thing. Is you, did, did you ever have to, did you have to take some um, like social work classes or courses or get some advice from people who deal with, with people struggling with major illnesses in order to do what you do better? Or is it something that you just kind of, you know, you just kind of went into it and you, you figured out what works? It was kind of something that I kind of just went into and figured it out along the way. Um, but I do have friends and was involved with the organization. So I was always getting advice, you know, because no matter who you are, where you in life, you always need like a mentor or someone to help you, right? Even the most successful business people have other mentors to speak to, to bounce ideas off of, right? No matter who you are, right? There are tons of people that have others who they speak to. So the same thing here. Um, and I speak openly also, like I go to therapy, you know, I see therapists sometimes once or twice a week, um, you know, obviously to bounce ideas off of, but also to talk about what I see, because no matter how many times I've been doing this for more than a decade, nearly, let's say close to 10, 15 years, going out there and seeing these children, unfortunately, a lot of them do pass away. And when you're going in there and you see a child there with all these machines and tubes and everything on them and screaming in pain and basically lifeless and looking extremely frail and no hair and on and on and on and on, it's not easy to see that. You know, no matter how many times I've seen it, every time it's horrible. So going out there and talking about it. So I, I talk openly. I'm like, look, we all have different situations in life. Like there's nothing wrong with getting help, with talking to somebody, whether it's just for advice to bounce ideas off of. Or because you're going through a tough time and you need to get stuff off, stuff off of your chest. Um, so I talk openly about it that I go to therapy. And I, I tell the same way I go to the gym. I go to the gym five days a week and I work out anywhere from like one to two hours a day. Consistently I've been doing that. I haven't missed a week in the last, let's say, five months. I haven't missed one week and going every week since and continuing to go. So you'll be um, able to pick up your car. Yeah, exactly. That's it. You know, <laughs> especially because gas is getting so expensive. You know, we can't drive them around anymore. We have to carry the Lamborghini to each visit. Um, but uh, no, important thing is like same way to take care of my body and do all these other things. Like you have to take care of your mind, you know, and your other parts of your health and going out there. So that means mentally as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, bouncing ideas off of people, finding a mentor, someone that you connect with, you know, and that's why I go to a therapist and I found someone that I connected with. And I speak to her about all the different things and the struggles and all these things that I've seen because it's tough seeing the kids like that are going to probably 20 some odd funerals already this year just for children. You know, it's, it's a tough thing no matter how many times you go because we don't visit once. You know, their children I've been visiting for more than 10 years. So it's you really develop that Kesha, that relationship with the child and the family. So when they pass away, it really hits hard. 
So I've learned that like, it's important to just talk about different things, to have things, you know, and all that. And even in business, I do the same thing. There are different business ideas or opportunities or stuff like that. And I'll speak to people, guys that I look up to, guys that have more knowledge than me or, you know, and try to guide me and help me and bounce ideas and saying, you know, what do you think about this potential investment opportunity or this business or this deal or that thing? And just, you know, go through that. And I think it's important for life to have that, to do that for others and to have others help you as well. Now, in this discussion, Josh, I would almost forget that you have a day job. <laughs> you're, you're a real estate developer, correct? Yeah, I do some real estate and involved with different businesses. Like I kind of try to do different things because I do need to pay my bills. Like I said, I ended up becoming Batman, not Bruce Wayne. You know, I'm Bruce Wayne without the billions. So, you know, I, I do have to make money as well. Um, so, yes, I do have businesses and stuff like that that I'm involved with. So curious, curious, without getting into all the details about what it takes to be a real estate developer, whatever, whatever else you do, um, do you find joy in, in that aspect of your life? Or is that just so you can pay your bills? So I happen to like work as well. You know, I happen to like certain things. I like doing that. You know, that's I purposely chose. I'm going to call it a job, even though it's just different things that I do. But let's say a job where I get to interact with people. I'm not sitting at a desk all day. I get to do certain things that I like doing. So I actually enjoy that. Obviously, my ultimate joy is from, you know, volunteering and chesed, all that. You know, if I had tons and tons and tons of money and never had to work a day again in my life, I would just be out every day, all day, forever, just as Batman and never think about money. You know, but that's not where I am right now. Maybe I could win the lottery or something could happen in the future or whatever. Um, but until then, you know, I'll still have to work and have different things to make some income and then spend as much time as possible volunteering because that's my true passion and what I really want to do. Um, but in life, it's all about moderation, right? It's all about finding the balance and doing that as well. So I think it's important, you know, to go out there. So yeah, I do enjoy working and doing these other things, trying to earn money as well. But my true fulfillment, my true joy really comes from chesed and all that. Okay, beautiful. Now, here's, here's an interesting idea, and I'm sure you've thought of it, but we, I'm sure that people will want to hear what the answer is. Do, with Smiles Through Cars, which is your organization, do you do some of fundraising? Do you call other people and say, would you like to help us do what we do? So we haven't done that much fundraising. Right. Um, because one thing was I never intended to have an organization, you know, I was kind of doing this and we would have people donate money to other charities and we would have them, you know, buy their toys and do stuff for us. And it was great, but it just became really hard to manage, you know, to get guys see, okay, you donate there. And then, you know, we're helping that organization's children anyway. And it was, so we said, you know, let's just start our own and we'll help other charities too. You know, if other organizations call, which we get all the time, we're there for them. You know, it's not like a business, right? You open one pizza store and the pizza store next to you calls up. Hey, I ran out of pizza sauce. Can I borrow 10 containers? No, like, good luck. You know, it's not happening. But here, when they call me up, hey, I have, a, you know, an event coming up and, you know, we need exotic cars with kids that are depressed. We have, we're there. You know, we help tons and tons and tons. It's, uh, you know, so... um yeah, I don't remember what the original question was. Oh, sorry, I didn't finish the question. No, I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted to sleep. So what if, you know, just tell me honestly, what if you would put your full energies into smiles through cars and part of what you do is, is, is fundraising for, and then you're, you're the manager of a nonprofit. You're the director of a nonprofit and that's what you do. And then the whole thing that you're doing is you know, is, is your, your whole, all of your energies are focused on your chesed and even what you do for a living is focused on your chesed. Just, I'm just wondering what you what you think about that. Yes. Yeah, so it's one thing literally I just started speaking about this. Some of my mentors, guys that I've done deals with guys that I look up to have been talking about this recently. Like, look, this is where your true passion is. This is what we see the way you light up about it. You know, this is your ultimate passion, what you want to do, where you want to be. So it's a thought that maybe I would do something like that, but I want to do it not in the traditional way. You know, I don't want to call up people and say, hey, can you donate $100? You know, I have certain ideas in my head, guys that I've done deals with, certain things like that. Maybe them I would target and say, look, this is our budget. This is what I need. This is that. And just figure it out and say, look, I'm willing to live off that amount. And that's it. Like, I don't need more. You know, I, I don't need to, you know, live like Bruce Wayne, you know, I'm okay with living certain. That's it. So it's, there you go. it's something that I've recently been thinking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and this way, again, I don't have to juggle as many hats. It's a, this is my full attention. Not that I do this as much as possible. And then I have to run out and do a deal. And, you know, so it's, it's a thought it's something it's in the work as well. So, okay. Uh, that's okay. Good. And I, I want to, Oh, 
I would just put out there that just in my experience with what I, with what I do with the podcast fellowship, I know that if let's say you have a school and so then you have certain people who believe in what you're doing as a school. So, and then, but then you have other, you know, you would call an organization and said, well, our mission is not education or our mission is not Jewish education. Our mission is right. We're into poverty. We're into alleviating hunger or disease or right. But I imagine just, just hearing what you're doing and, and your, and your seamless, um, collaboration with so many with police and with, <laughs> and, and right. with, uh, you know, sick children. Nobody's going to say no to sick children. Like it, it, <laughs> it's something that everybody think recognizes as, as a value. So I just imagine that it would be not difficult when, you know, done correctly. There's so many foundations out there that would love to, to help you do what you're doing and see how meaningful it is to so many people. I just imagine that you, that that would be a, a very big help help for you and not, you know, not, not, not such a difficult job. Yeah. So I never put the effort into yet, but yes, correct. Probably. And that's what I'm going to start trying to do and seeing, you know, how it could shift over to spend more time on that. So I okay, agree. Amazing. Okay. Very good. Okay. Josh, is there anything you, you said so much and you, and you, and you have so much to share and I know you said you could keep going on and on. Um, we have at the podcast fellowship, we have uh, students and we have young professionals and everybody has different interests and, and different ideas of where they're going to go in life professionally. And I wonder if there's any parting thoughts that you would give as you're, you're somebody who's in the, in the world of business and you, and you, but your, your heart is clearly in doing for others. Um, any parting thoughts that you would leave that, you know, in a, a brief, a brief message for, for somebody who's out there in Jewish, you know, exploring Judaism and wondering what it's all about. Yeah. I mean, I would say, first of all, professionally, let's say for those of you that are in college and, you know, first starting off and figuring out what you quote unquote want to do for the rest of your life and all that, you know, I would say, first of all, think about what you actually enjoy doing. You know, a lot of people far too often, unfortunately, people are like, oh, I want to go into real estate because you can make money. I want to go into this because I could be rich. If you're good at what you do, if you enjoy what you do, you can make money in anything that you do. Right. Because if you enjoy what you do, like I have one of my brothers is a physical therapist. He works a ton of hours every week. I mean, he's in the office by 730 in the morning and doesn't come home until like 10, 11 at night consistently, except for Shabbos. Friday, he'll leave a little earlier, get home for Shabbos. But Sunday to Thursday, those are the hours. And Friday, he's there from like 730 till, you know, two hours before Shabbos. And that's it. You know, but he loves what he do. He loves helping people. For him, it's just genuinely he enjoys being out there and getting people to come in that are unfortunately can't walk, had a stroke, had all these different scenarios. And he really, for the last 20 some odd years, he's been doing it. And he really loves knowing that he can make a difference in people's lives. And, you know, for him, that's what he just enjoys working those hours because he just says, I get to spend time out there all day helping people you know, making an impact and speaking to him and all that. So that's professionally, you know, chase something that you actually want to do, not that you think will make you rich. Because unfortunately, there are far too many people out there. You go look it up. I think majority of heart attacks in America occur on a Monday morning. Wow. And I think it's because of the stress level of a lot of people. It's after the weekend and people get to go back to work. And I'm saying like get to because they're not happy about it. They don't want to go to their job. They don't want to go. It's, I have to go back. It's Monday morning versus people that actually enjoy what they do. You know, when I wake up, let's say, and I have to, and I'm saying have to visit a child, let's say at 6 a.m. because I'm going to visit the child before they go to the hospital for chemotherapy or meeting them outside the hospital to cheer them up before they go back in and stuff like that. Like I look forward to it. There's certain nights I literally can't go to sleep. Not because like I'm just, I'm so excited to see that child, to be there to surprise them, to make them happy and all that. Like I'm literally counting down to be there to, to see that child. So that's the kind of excitement that people should have for their job. You know, it's that you should want to go there to do it. It's, it, it's a different thing, but you should actually enjoy it. So that's first of all, just to, so you can have a, hel- a healthier and happier future. It's fun something you actually enjoy doing, not just that you're chasing someone else's dream because they told you this is what you should be doing. Um, and second of all, with Judaism, you know, the most beautiful thing is that it doesn't matter, right? If you, if you decide to go to law school at the age of 50, you know, I think it's a little bit later in life. It, it's tough. But if you first decide that you want to become Jewish, you know, religious, the age of 20, 30, whatever age you are, you know, it's never too late to start things. Like my, one of my sister-in-laws, her parents, um, you know, became religious after, I think after their third child, she's 
two siblings, um, and they became religious much, much, much later in life. They became religious in like their 50s or 60s. And they were always Jewish, they were always traditional. But the kids said, look, you know, we grew up going to religious schools. They went to yeshiva, but then they would come home and have Shabbat dinner, and then they would go out to town or do certain things, whatever it was. And to them, they said, you know, it's either or, it doesn't make sense. I think the most beautiful thing is that it's never too late in Judaism. Whether, you know, whether you could read Hebrew, can't read Hebrew, could do this, can't do that, like, start with small steps. The most beautiful thing about it is that it's not a race, right? It's not like in business, and this is you both start in law school at the same day, and, you know, where you are in 10 years. It's not, it's not a race to get to the end, the end goal. It's just to follow the path of God, right? To follow the footsteps that we should be doing, to, to emulate the ways of our forefathers, right? To actually become a better person and, and to implement these things that you learn because when you look at the torah it's essentially it's a blueprint for how we should live our life from the simplest thing is putting on your shoe to how you get married under the the chuppah the awning and all and and everything in between you know the blessings before a meal after a meal you know and doing what you could do like i remember one of my years when i was studying in israel like i remember on shabbos afternoon right sabbath afternoon i remember seeing a kid on the phone talking to his parents and saying look he was there from Oregon. Uh, he was in like a, a certain program that they had there to teach him about Judaism. And he's like, mom, I know that there's a war going on in Israel and there's a lot of fighting and you're scared. You want me coming home? My rabbi said, I can't take a, a plane on Saturday. I'm not allowed to fly. And he was on the phone on Saturday arguing with his parents about that. To him, the level he was on at that time was he was taught you can't fly, right? It's all about doing things in steps. And the next step was, you know, don't use your phone on Shabbat. Don't do this. Don't do that. So it's, it's not about where you are right now. It's where you want to be in 10 years and taking the steps to get there. You know, I think that's the most important part. It's that no matter where you are, you could start with, quote unquote, the simplest thing and just continue building on that foundation in Judaism to strengthen who you want to be in the future. And I think that's the most important part is finding that mentor, finding the person that you connect with. Like I did with a therapist. It's the same thing, right? My mental stability needed someone to connect with. It's the same thing with their spirituality. Like you need that mentor, someone in your life. And I have a bunch of them. I have a bunch of rabbis that I look up to and that I speak to and connected with, you know, and I don't see them all the time, but, you know, we speak often and, and we're just, you know, stuff like that. And they're just amazing people that I look up to in that regard, that they're just such amazing human being. Like they don't care if you come in with your head covered or if you're the greatest rabbi in the world, like they're going to treat you like a human being. They're going to treat you with respect and I think it's just an amazing thing that you see with the Jewish people. It's that we all have a love for each other. You know, it's, I think we have more organizations possibly than any other nation in the world. Right. There's anything and everything like you name it. We probably have an organization for it. And it's just an amazing and people don't want anything in return. It's you go to a gamach and you pick up a, a, a wedding gown you know, to, to go to a wedding or you pick up this or that, their, their requirements are, you know, make some sort of a donation and bring it back dry clean. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. And there are tons of people out there. There are gamaks for furniture. For, you name it, it's there. Anything and everything. There are guys available to help. Unfortunately, I get far too often, I get text messages for, you know, Jewish people that pass away that don't have a family. And they're like, hey, is it possible to get 10 men to meet at a cemetery to go, you know, bury this person into I've never seen a situation where we didn't get 10 men to go mm-hmm. ever. And these are people that had no connection to them at all. I have never heard of the guy. We're there. There's a deep connection. The, 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 the connection of the people, of a people, of, of and that's just people. What we are. We're, we're all one. And it's root. Yeah. One belief. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, that's an, and this is unfortunately a little bit morbid, but I, I remember a story hearing and they said to a Jewish man, they said, you know, how did you learn, you know, that, that Jews matter, right? Whether you're the most religious Jew or the most irreligious Jew. And he said, where do you learn it from? He said, we learned it from Hitler in the Holocaust. Unfortunately, because he didn't care whether you were a Shomer Shabbat, not Shomer Shabbat, the biggest rabbi. He said, if you were a Jew, that, that's unfortunately in the negative way, it's only cared about. So he goes, why do we look at it any differently? So you have to love every Jew. Every Jew is just a Jew. That's all that matters. And we should all strive to just make ourselves better as a human being. And that's what we should try to do. It's not to compare ourselves to other people to be jealous. It's I want to be better than the person that I was essay. That's the only person that I compare myself to now. It's, I'll look up to people and I'll try to emulate their ways, but I don't look up to them in jealousy. I say, you know what? That's who I want to be like. 
that's the kind of family I want to have. That's who I want to be like in 10 years, in 15 years, in 20. You know, that, that's the kind of way I look up to them to emulate their ways, not look up to them in a jealousy of this guy has $50 billion. I don't care. You know, I want to look up to them and say, wow, I wish I could open a government and learn it the way that I can. I, I can't. I wish I could. I can't. But thank God there's art school. Now I can. There are different things. Gosh, so. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jess. That was amazing. Amazing to talk to you. I'm, in, I'm inspired. I'm inspired to do more for others. And I hope that others will be as well. And I really appreciate your time. So thank you and and keep keep it keep it going. Up and up from strength to strength. Thank you, you too. Thank you. Okay. You've just listened to another great episode of Our Tribe the Podcast, brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe the Podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at our tribe at podcastfellowship.org. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.